You know, we've just finished um, the the um, study in Luke, and that study took about three years. And after I concluded that uh, sermon series, I was thinking to myself, now what? What are we going to do next? And uh, I thought it would be appropriate to uh, look at this uh, series on what's what's next, now what? And uh, And the theme being... Uh, choosing to grow spiritually. You know, as um, as we concluded Luke, I'm sure the disciples were thinking the same thing. Jesus, Jesus had uh, risen from the dead. He had uh, spent time with disciples over those 40 days. He didn't. He hadn't spent all 40 days with disciples, but periodically, in and out, uh, Jesus was meeting with his disciples. He was teaching his disciples. And the last thing he told to his disciples in Galilee was that they needed to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And they would be filled with power on high and they would be his witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But that their witness was to begin in Jerusalem. And they were to make disciples. You know, it's hard to it's hard to make disciples when we're not being a good disciple ourselves. Do you feel that way? You know, we've been commissioned by Jesus Christ to make disciples. But are we his disciples? If we're not being good disciples, being good followers of him, we're certainly not going to be investing in other people. You know, I wish spiritual growth came naturally. But it doesn't come naturally. It does come supernaturally, but even supernaturally, it is difficult. It takes effort. It's not easy. Oftentimes in our spiritual growth, it's one step forward, two steps back. Maybe three steps forward, two steps back. One step forward, three steps back. Am I describing your spiritual life? Am I the only one here who struggles with this? We all do. And so I think that this series of messages is for all of us as a church. And I'm looking forward to going through it with you. Um, For the last six weeks, I've been working on some really good sermon illustrations. And what I mean by that, um, I've been putting in a vegetable fruit garden. It's been 45 years since I did a vegetable garden. Uh, When I was in elementary school, uh, I would go to my mama and papa's house, and uh, I would I shared in a project with them, uh, putting in a vegetable garden, and that was so much fun. I I had I had a great time um, uh, sharing with them in that that garden, and uh, uh, we had we were growing okra we grew black-eyed peas, we grew strawberries, uh, we grew radishes and carrots, 
and uh, I got the hang of it. And not, every time I went over the house, and the, I went immediately to the backyard to see how that garden was growing. I, Susan and I were um, on a date a few weeks ago, and I was uh, reminiscing about my my time with my grandparents in their backyard and sharing in that experience. And I'm sure that they got more joy out of it than I did uh, in participating with me. <clears throat> but, you know, as I got older, um, you know, interests changed, and uh, I would no, no longer had the time to invest in a, in a garden. And I was thinking to them, myself, you know, they were probably more disappointed in that than, than I was. And, uh, and the reason why I'm sharing this with you and why I got started with this garden in my backyard was that my granddaughter, Ellie, she's taken an interest in a vegetable garden. And so I got the idea that I would... Uh, create this garden in the back corner of my backyard. I had a, I had a dilapidated uh, corner of the the yard. There, the neighbors on the other side of the fence, that new housing track went in several years ago, and uh, their elevation is higher than my elevation. You'll notice that their fence is higher, and, uh, and so there was a lot of erosion, and that. That fence that uh, belonged to me, that was just deteriorating and dirt was coming down on it. It was collapsing. So uh, I decided to build a retaining wall. And so the next picture has uh, the end result. Pretty nice, huh? Uh, That took a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears, literally, to get to that point. And and I have... um, I've poured a lot of time into that, and I've really enjoyed putting uh, that garden together. And there's one particular spot in my garden where um, Ellie really likes um, cucumbers. Uh, she'll just eat u- cucumbers 24-7. And so I decided I wanted to grow some cucumbers. And so I planted these seeds, and uh, I have worked tirelessly in in helping these seeds to grow. It has been six weeks since I planted these seeds. I've irrigated them every single day. I've raked carefully over the soil, trying to keep it loose so that these seeds will grow. And after six weeks of labor, this is what my cucumbers look like. Six weeks, and that is all I have to show for myself in this garden of mine. And uh, maybe you're here this morning, and you know, we're talking about choosing to grow and making disciples and spiritual growth, and you're thinking to yourself that that's what your spiritual life looks like. I mean, you have, you have a lot of years in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, Maturity-wise, as far as chronological years, I mean, uh, you're way down the road. But when it comes to spiritual maturity and growing in Christ-like maturity and making disciples, you're still at that stage. And I think that that describes not only people in our church, but a lot of the church in North America. 
in particular. And so this morning, and for the next several weeks, I want to talk about uh, choosing to grow. What were the disciples going to do? Jesus has ascended now. And they are to be um, making disciples to the end of the earth. How are they going to do that? How are we going to do that? And so I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 5 this morning. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 11 and read through the first part of verse 1 in chapter 6. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This, the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Christians. And, um, and these, these believers have known Christ for some, some time, but their ears have become dull of hearing. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. For these Hebrew Christians, their spiritual life has it has stopped moving forward. Their spiritual life has become stagnant. And for many, most likely it has moved backwards. What do you think God thought of their spiritual progress? What do you think Jesus thought of their Spiritual progress. Is he disappointed? Is he saying to them in his mind, you did that again? You keep repeating the same problems over and over again? You're still struggling with that? I thought you would be past this by now. That's what, that's what the accuser wants us to think, that God thinks of us. And yet, Yes, God does call us, church, to a higher standard. God does want us to do better. But when we fall short, he doesn't condemn us. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Let's go back to post-resurrection. The day Jesus resurrected, he, he met with his disciples. What had happened previously when Jesus was being crucified, when Jesus was being falsely accused, the disciples ran for their lives. Peter failed Jesus uh, three times. He denied Jesus three times. But here Jesus enters the room, resurrected, 
bodily resurrected in person. And does he condemn them? No. He encourages them. He exhorts them. He cheers them on. Guys, I believe in you. You can do this. My friends, church, this is, this is how God feels about us. He wants to be our cheerleader. He wants to exhort us. You know, the people who felt um, the most unworthy, the people who were most rejected by the religious people, were the people who felt most loved and accepted in Jesus' presence. What's the problem? What's the problem with the Hebrew people? The problem with the Hebrews is they have stopped learning. They have stopped growing. They have stalled in their spiritual growth. Yes, they have long a long relationship with Christ in years, but when it comes to maturity, their spiritual understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, their understanding is very shallow in all of who Jesus is. And the people still need elementary teaching. They're still focused on the bottle rather than going deeper and feasting on the meat. They're they're focused on things to avoid. You know, they're proud of the things that they're not doing. And in the things that they're avoiding, they're boasting about. And it's leading to spiritual pride. It's leading to self-righteousness. And in verse 14, the Bible says, um, well, let me read verse 14. For solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. They had a difficult time distinguishing good from evil. And I think in today's culture today, the church, Christians, are having a hard time distinguishing good from evil. And we don't know how to behave. We don't know how to respond to a culture that is so in our face about immorality. And people are walking in fear and thinking that if they... uh, choose to stand up and say the right thing, that they are being judgmental, that they are being unloving, and they are not responding the way Jesus would respond. Folks, it's important that we know what God's word says. We know who Jesus is and how Jesus would respond and that we should respond accordingly. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. 
God's will for your life and for my life is to grow in spiritual maturity. How many here want to grow in spiritual maturity? Let me see your hands. That's about 30% of us. Really? How many of us want to grow in spiritual maturity? Let me see our hands. All right? That's about all of us. And, uh, you know, how much does God want us to grow in spiritual maturity? Or, um, in, in other words, how much do you want your children to grow in spiritual maturity? You know, we want them to learn the things of Christ. We want them to be able to uh, live that witness for Christ, uh, independent of their parents. Um, and so I don't know what that goal looks like, but uh, we want, just like we want more for our kids, God wants more for us. You know, what's the end result? Uh, part of spiritual maturity would be, you know, not, not to get ticked off at the drop of a hat. Not to get stressed out over all the small stuff. To, to be kind and loving and, for, and forgiving. To, to not fear criticism when doing the right thing. To be people who are full of joy. These are things that indicate spiritual maturity in one's life. And that's what God wants for all of us. And God wants to help. God wants to help. The disciples were asking themselves, after Jesus had ascended, now what? Jesus said, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. God has sent a helper, third person of the Trinity in the Holy Spirit. Church, you can't live this Christian life independent of God's help. And we're going to be looking at that more next week. But if we're going to grow in Christ-like maturity, we're going to have to stop trying and start training. Stop trying and start training. Look at Hebrews 5.14. The writer says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There is a responsibility on our part to train. Now, don't get this confused. When it comes to our salvation, we don't have a choice in that. It is God and God alone who saves. We are justified by faith alone, the Bible says. But when it comes to uh, our, our walk with Christ, yes, we are to, just as we are saved by faith, we are to walk in that faith. But in that walking of faith, we must 
train ourselves. We have a responsibility to do something. And in that training, in that process, it's called sanctification. And sanctification is our responsibility, but Jesus hasn't left us helpless. He's given us the helper in the Holy Spirit that will help us, enable us to grow. And in that growth, I, w- I want you to think it in this terms. You know, think of it in, um, think of this as a sailboat rather than a rowboat. Okay. Yeah, we need to get in that boat. And yes, there is a destination. But we are not just rowing our sails, our, our boat, but we need to lift the sails. And we need to allow the wind of the Holy Spirit in our lives to move our boat forward. The Spirit wants to give us that help to enable us to grow. And as we're training, as we're trusting, as as we're allowing the Spirit of God to move our boat, you know who's going to cause the growth? God's going to cause the growth. We can't grow ourselves. I, I can't grow those cucumbers. Oh, I want to grow those cucumbers. But my responsibility is to water the cucumbers. My responsibility is to plant those seeds in an environment where they will grow. To plant the, those seeds in a, in a soil where it's, it's rich, it's fertilizer, it's just not desert sand. but it's only God that is going to cause the growth of that cucumber. I can't make my spiritual life grow any more than I can make a cucumber plant grow. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul describes us as God's garden. Christian, you are God's garden. And we're going to be talking more about remaining in that garden in a couple of weeks. But my responsibility as a Christian, if I'm going to continue to make steps forward, it is my responsibility to place myself in environments where I can grow in Christ-like maturity. And that that begins with a quiet time. That begins with a, a quiet spot where I can get alone with God's Word and in prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit and allow God to speak to my heart. That's, that's the beginning. That's the foundation. And if you're not providing yourself that kind of opportunity, it's like trying to plant a cucumber seed in the desert where there's no water, there's no fertile, it's just sand. You put that seed in, in the desert soil. Oh, you might get rain. 
and you might get a little spurt, but the summer's coming. And that seed, that plant is going to fade away. We have a responsibility to grow. And when it comes to our spiritual life, we need to put ourselves in a, in a place where our spiritual life can thrive. And that means knowing God's word, knowing who Jesus is. And going back to verse 14, the last part of verse 14, constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Are we distinguishing good from evil, church? We live in a world that's turned upside down today. What we know is right is being called wrong. And what we know is wrong and an abomination is being embraced and accepted. And the world is telling the church and Christians, you better get on board because not only are you to tolerate us, but you are to accept us fully for who we are. It is in our faith, face. And what are we to do as Christians? We must understand, discern between good and evil and practice righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, Brothers, but, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. Friends, when it comes to training, being who God wants us to be, we need to be training for what? We need to be training for godliness and responding how God would want us to respond. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need to allow the word of God 
to train us in righteousness. And church, as we live according to righteousness, the Bible says all who live, who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. And there are a lot of Christians today who are afraid, who are fearful of this persecution. And rather than standing up against it, they're choosing to be silent. Folks, it is time for us as Christians to grow in Christ-like maturity. And that doesn't mean that we become self-righteous and arrogant and offensive and and people don't want to be around us. No, we need to live and respond and train in godliness. I don't know about you, but um, I've had it up to here with uh, the interview regarding Bruce Jenner. And, um, and again, this is another issue that is in our face about um, um, what's happening with transgenders and, and, uh, and that this, is, this should be acceptable. This is something that they're going through. And we as, as, a, as a culture need to com- be compassionate and understanding and realize that uh, there is a, a way to fix this issue. What would God say? What, what would Jesus say to Bruce Jenner today? I, I don't know if you follow Russell Moore, but uh, Russell Moore is um, uh, a Christian leader in, in uh, Southern Baptist circles. He's uh, in Washington, D.C., and uh, he uh, oversees the Religious and Ethics Committee. And he said this uh, this week in one of his blogs uh, concerning Bruce Jenner. He said this, Bruce Jenner, of course, is a symbol, a celebrity, a spokesperson for an entire mentality that sees gender as separate from biological identity. So is there a word from God to the transgender community? How should the church address the Bruce Jenner in your neighborhood who doesn't have the star power or or the Malibu mansions, but who has the same alienation of self? First of all, we should avoid the temptation to laugh at these suffering souls. We do not see our transgendered neighbors as freaks to be despised. They feel alienated from their identities as men or women and are seeking a solution to that in self-display or in surgery or in pumping their bodies with the other sex's hormones. In a fallen universe, all of us are alienated in some way from who we were designed to be. That alienation manifests itself in different ways and in different people. 
But neither should we fall for the cultural narrative behind the transgender turn. This narrative is rooted in the ancient heresy of Gnosticism with the idea that the real self is separate from who one is as an embodied material being. Body parts and chromosomal patterns are dispensable since the self is radically disconnected from the body, the psychic, from the material. The old Gnostic heresy is joined with contemporary expressive individualism, the idea that I must be true to whoever I perceive my real me to be on the inside in order to be authentic. What's the world saying? The world saying that our true self can be separated from how God has created us to be male and female. When the Bible says they're one and the same, God says he created man and woman to be male and female. And that's our identity. And when we struggle, and listen, we live, we live in a fallen world. We all struggle with sin. I struggle with attraction to the opposite sex, where others struggle with attraction to the same sex. But we are all fallen beings. We, are, we all have sin in our DNA that we must overcome. And that overcoming isn't through drugs pumping other hormones into our bodies, uh, uh, physical changes, operations, or just accepting who we are and our identity? No, our answer is Jesus Christ. Um, uh, Dr. Moore goes on to say this, this last paragraph I'll read. The hope for Bruce Jenner and for others like him and like us is not to alter the body with surgery or to flood their systems with hormones. The answer is to realize that all of us are born alienated from what we were created to be. We don't need to be to fix what happened in our first birth. We need a new birth altogether. And that's the answer. Church, we need to grow in Christ-like maturity. We need to be able to discern the difference between good and evil and respond accordingly. And Christians, the church, it's getting attacked on all fronts. We've been reading a lot recently about uh, Christian business owners who bake cakes and should they serve the homosexual community? And if they, and if a homosexual couple comes into a bakery and they order a donut or a cupcake and they're homosexuals, of course they need to be served. They're people. And uh, they, that business is there to, to serve the community. 
But there's a big difference between serving the community and having to take your business into a wedding or do something that violates your convictions as a Christian. Suppose uh, some, some porn business came into a bakery and, and they wanted the, the baker to, to make a particular, to make the cake look like a particular body part. Well, that Christian has the, the right to say, no, that goes against my convictions as a Christian. I'm not going to provide that service for you. And the same is, to, is true for uh, any, uh, anything of this nature. But how are we as Christians to respond? Are we to be ugly and defensive and proudful, self-righteous? No. We're to be like Jesus. How did Jesus respond to sinners? Uh, there's a big, there's a big uh, debate going on in the church today between uh, Christians and looking at the life of Jesus. Some Christians will say, well, you know, Jesus went to a wedding. And he turned water into wine. And so if Jesus would do that at a wedding, why shouldn't a Christian go to a business owner, go to a homosexual wedding and serve uh, the wedding party? Well, we don't know exactly what Jesus did at that at that wedding. Yes, he did turn water into wine, but we don't know that there was any debauchery or drunkenness going on at that wedding. Maybe maybe there was just uh, too many people who came to that wedding and they ran out of wine, but people weren't drunk, but Jesus provided more wine to the people who attended. You think of... Um, the lady that was, the woman that was caught in adultery. The Pharisees dragged this woman to Jesus and, and uh, the law said to stone her. And Jesus says, you know, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And there's a segment of the church that say, Jesus didn't condemn this woman. And uh, it would be okay to go to a homosexual wedding. But Jesus also said, I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. We need to discern between good and evil. And if we don't know what the word says, church, we're going to succumb to the pressures that this society, this culture is putting upon the church today. We're going to cave and we're no longer going to be the salt and light that God would have us to be. And again, and being salt and light, that doesn't mean that we are ugly. That we come across offensive Sinners 
were drawn to Jesus. That Jesus stood for the right things. And that doesn't mean that things will always go your way. Jesus was crucified. And Paul says, those who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. We've read about Christians on the same boat with Muslims. And they're praying and they're praying to God their father. And Muslims tell them to be silent, to pray to Allah. And they refuse. And it costs them their life. Church, let's choose to grow. And again, growing is not going to be easy. But in growing, we will grow to be more like Jesus. We won't be afraid of dying. Any little thing will not stress us out anymore. Even when someone chooses to reject you, it won't be the end of the world. You can still choose to live, to love, and to go on and not allow their rejection to dictate your life. But to get to that point, we've got to place ourselves in a situation where we can hear from him, where we can pray to him, He will be the wind in our sails. So that's where we're going in the next several weeks as we talk about choosing to grow in Christ. We need him, church, especially in this day and age. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for placing in us in today's culture for such a time as this. And Lord, life is drastically changing. We are hearing things and we're seeing things that when I grew up as a child, they were the furthest thing from my mind. I didn't even know what these terms meant. God, we live in a culture and society today where the world wants us to embrace sin. God, help us. Help us to be strong. Help us to be mature. Help us to be Christ-like. To be loving and gentle. and firm. Friend, I don't know what you're going through, 
what you've encountered this week. But God wants to help. You may feel like that little boy with those Legos spread all over the ground. And life is chaotic for you. Friend, you're not alone. And God has given you His Word. And God has given you the help of His Holy Spirit to put the pieces together. Choose to get along with Him today. Read His Word. Listen for his voice. Jesus, your words can be overwhelming if we don't understand your book. Help us to take take this journey one step at a time. Grow us, Lord Jesus, into the person you would have us to be so that we can be your salt and your light and your love and your presence in this world. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.